Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. God is sovereign over the affairs of men. Do we believe that? Do we really believe that the Lord is absolutely sovereign over everything that takes place in our lives? Even when we trip and even when we stumble, which there's not a person here that hasn't tripped and stumbled, right? God can use that in order to weave a tapestry that we're not sure about, maybe we can't see clearly, but we know is going to be beautiful. Sometimes we put God in our little box. We like to, like to understand everything. We like to have the checklist. We like to, we like to kind of walk with God when it's convenient for us. Or we like to, to walk with God when we can understand or we think we understand what's going on. Folks, I, I got to be honest, that's a great moment, but it's not necessarily faith. Faith is walking with God when we're persuaded, even when we don't understand, even when it doesn't fit within our convenient little box. God is sovereign over the affairs of men. I love uh, that song that Stephanie sang, and that was my wife. <laughs> She hates when I do that, but I, I mean, I, you know, come on, it's my wife. I'm proud of her. I think she's awesome. She's my best friend. And you know, the thing that I love about Stephanie is she sang that song from her heart. She believes it. She didn't just sing it to sing it. And I've watched her and I've been blessed to be married to her for over 20, 22 years now, right? Almost 23 December 19th, for those of you who didn't think that I remembered our anniversary date. (laughs) But I, I, I love her because I see her heart for the Lord and it blesses me. Thank you. So Acts chapter 18. Verses 12 and, and following. This is kind of an interesting passage because it's, uh, it's one of these passages that there's all kinds of things happening in it. But the common thread throughout this passage as they close their second missionary journey is that God is sovereign over the affairs of men. God knows the timing of things. He knows exactly what he wants to do. He knows how to use the pagan, unbelievers, for his glory and for his honor. He knows how to protect his own. He knows how to lead his servants. He knows how to do it all. And the beauty of it is we get to watch Paul follow God. And what a role modeling that is to us. I love what David said, if the Lord wills. That's our mantra. That's, that's what ought to be at the very at forethought of our, our thinking. If the Lord wills. If this is what he wants. Because it's in following him that we grow in Christ and that we learn and that we begin to be changed and transformed and our minds are renewed through the word of God and and we begin to reflect the glory of God, his love through our lives. Because when God begins to transform us from the inside, then in the midst of our activity, the activity just reflects the inside, what God's doing in us. And we can praise God for that. We can give glory to him. Acts chapter 18, verses 12 and following. There's three things, sovereign protection, sovereign connection, and sovereign recognition. It's 
It's all about the sovereignty of God. He is sovereign over the affairs of men. Verse 12, it says, But while Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat, saying, This man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. Now, if you remember, last week we looked at this. Paul was fearful. And God came alongside, the Lord came alongside of Paul and says, don't fear, nobody's going to harm you. He didn't say that there wasn't going to be difficulty. He said, there's nobody going to harm you. I've got a lot of people in this city. I'm sure that was in the back of Paul's mind as he was being once again dragged before some of the Roman officials. Galileo was a very important individual at that particular time. He would have been like one of our governors He was connected directly into Rome. Achaia was one of the major provinces of Rome. And Galileo is a proconsul. He's a governor over this entire province. His brother was Seneca. Maybe you have heard of Seneca. Seneca was a famous philosopher. And Seneca actually taught Nero. Galileo was no small figure in the political scene of Rome. And the Jews bring him, bring Paul before Galileo in order to bring a charge against Paul. Now we've seen this over and over again. We saw it when he was in Philippi and they brought him before and they said they're disrupting the whole city. And they didn't, they didn't even find out whether or not they were Roman citizens. They just beat him, threw him into jail. God used that in order to lead the jailer to himself along with his entire household. We've seen that as he's tracked all through this particular journey. God's been with them, but there's been tribulation, there's been fear, there's been difficulty, there's been trials. They had to escape by sea. Paul went by himself to get to Corinth. But God's been faithful in it all. Galileo is an interesting guy. He clearly isn't too interested in the Jewish argument. And the Jewish argument is this in verse 13. This man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. This man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. Would it be said of all of us the same thing? Now let me explain. The word persuade here literally has the idea of convincing somebody, moving somebody to believe something. He's convincing people. He's moving them to a state of belief to worship God. The word worship here means to respect, to honor, to revere. And the Jews use the present tense here. He's doing this all the time. (laughs) You can hear their frustration, right? This guy is driving us crazy. Even Crispus, our synagogue leader, and his entire household have been converted to Christianity. He's convincing these people all the time. Folks, isn't that what we're supposed to be about? I, I would suggest that we're constantly living our lives in Christ, in the sovereignty of God, in such a way, or we should be, that God is being recognized through us so that people watch how we live. And they're constantly being convinced to revere God. They're constantly watching us and seeing God transform us. We're not perfect. We trip. 
We stumble, praise God, for forgiveness and the cleansing of Christ. But in the midst of that, we can give glory to God. And they ought to be watching us. They ought to be seeing a difference. Now the question is, what does this last little phrase mean? Contrary to the law. Contrary to the law. Is he saying that you go and murder people because the law says thou shalt not murder? Is that what they're saying? Is that the charge? No. We're going to look at this in a minute, but verse 15, Galileo gives his response, and he makes it very clear that the Jews were not necessarily talking about Roman law. They were talking about their own law. That's why Galileo didn't want anything to do with it. It's not like they're bringing a charge against Paul where he had murdered somebody or he had done some vicious act or, or somehow he wasn't doing what he was supposed to do with regard to Roman law. They're bringing a charge to Galileo about the Jewish law. And they're saying Paul is constantly convincing people to respect God contrary to the law, the Mosaic law. Now, part of that is absolutely true. Part of it's not. From their perspective, Paul was preaching against the law of Moses. What we know is that Paul was recognizing clearly why the law of Moses was given, and it is to point to a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the law. Let me look at a few things with you on this, because I think this is so important. Folks, there's nothing new under the sun. This is happening today. We have all kinds of religious people, all kinds of religious people. You got their checklist. We got all kinds of denominations. We got all kinds of different religions all over this place. And the truth of the matter is the battle between our affirmation in what we do before God versus what God has done for us and our willingness to receive it, where it rages on, rages on. Law versus grace. And how do we view these two things? Look at Romans chapter 3. Look at verses 19 and following. Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and following. Paul writes this, and he's writing to the Romans, and, and he's making something very clear concerning the law. He says, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified, made right in his sight. In other words, by the works of the law, by doing the law, by, by keeping the law supposedly, nobody will be justified in his sight. And I think that's something to, boy, lock in. Our works do not justify us before God. He says, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Now understand what he's saying. He's saying that the law was given. And if you're going to try to seek to keep the law and be justified, made right to God, by doing the works of the law, you will not be justified before God. Because the law does something to us. The law exposes our sin. The law actually exposes our inability to keep or rise to the standard of God's righteousness. Activity which conforms to his holiness. The law actually is a tripping for us. 
Paul says this very clearly in Galatians. I don't got time to go through all of this. But I want to tell you something. The idea that as believers, we're going to do something for God. That we're going to take this into our own hands. You got two problems here. You got coming to Christ, then you got living in Christ. Ephesians, the whole book deals with it in chapters one through three, that we are in Christ by grace. And then he talks about it from chapters four through six about walking in a manner worthy of the calling with which we've been called. How do we walk? Just as we received him. How is that? By faith. By faith. See, not only are we not justified before God in order to get salvation, to gain salvation, we're not justified as believers before God because somehow we think that there's something we can now do for God in order to prove our salvation. As you have received Christ Jesus, so what? Walk ye in him. How did we receive him? By faith. How do we walk With him, in him, by faith. Who's doing this, folks? Can we take any credit for the life of Christ? Can we take any credit for the goodness of God? Can we take any credit for the holiness of God? Can we take any credit, no matter how hard we try, no matter how, whatever we're trying to do here, can we take any credit for anything that's actually of God? Or do we have to say, that was God? See, that's the issue. That's grace. We just sang about it. Here, Paul in Romans is making this pretty clear. He says in verse 21, Now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, made known, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith, by the means of faith in Jesus Christ, for all those who believe. For there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift. How? By his grace, not by works. We're justified, we're made right before God by his grace, not because of what we've done and what we've earned. Through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. What's the redemption? He went to the cross, he shed his blood so that our sin may be paid for. Romans 6.14, he says, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Now catch that. You're not under law. You are under grace. In other words, you can't just say, Oh, I'm I'm not under law anymore. I can go live whatever way I want. No, no, no. You're under grace. Grace is a good and righteous boundary. We're not under the law anymore as if somehow we've got to earn or somehow we're under a meritorious system. We've earned something because of what we've done. We're under grace because of what God has done. Now we get to live that way. Now we get to live that way because God lives in us to do through us what we could never do on our own. God is our source. He's our life. He's our strength. He's our wisdom. He's the one that leads us. He's our shepherd. He guides us. He directs us. He's at work all around us. And the question is, are we following him? Do we trust that he is sovereign over all of our affairs? And do we live that way? Do we practice that? Do we say yes to the Lord? in the midst of that? Or are we still trying to pay God back for something that we could never pay him back for? Are we trying to earn favor with God that we already have through Jesus Christ? Galatians chapter three, I love Galatians, the book of Galatians. 
Paul writes this, and he never once thanks God for the people. Hilarious. He was so ticked off. It's the only letter that he writes where he doesn't thank God for the, for the believers. <laughs> he wasn't too happy with them, in other words. I'm sure when he got done penning it, he was like, Lord, I am thankful. I am thankful, but you let me to write it, you know. Galatians 3, verses 2 through 3, he says, This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Were you saved because of what you did and earned? Or were you justified by God because of what he did, what he earned? So you receive by hearing with faith. He goes on, he says, are you so foolish? And that word foolish literally means, are you brain dead? Are you brain dead? Have you literally taken your brain and set it to the side, your mind and set it to the side? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Oh, believers, we got to hear that. We didn't, we didn't earn anything in this salvation. God's accomplished it for us. He invites us to join him. We have the opportunity to be persuaded that what he is revealing to us is correct and that we're in need of him. And when we come before the Lord Jesus Christ and we receive him, he tells us in John that he gives us the right to become children of God, even to those who do what? Believe in his name. Having done that, are we now perfected by the flesh? Now, is Paul speaking against the law? Is Paul saying that, hey, this law is a bunch of nonsense. Get rid of it. No. In Galatians 3.24, he sums it up this way. He says, therefore, the law has become our tutor, our teacher, to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. Wow. Why the law? Why was the law given? in order to expose sin so that we might recognize how desperate we are in need of a savior. Paul wasn't preaching so much against the law. What he's saying is what the writer of Hebrews said, there's a better way. There's a new covenant inaugurated by the blood of Christ. And we no longer have to be under a meritorious system trying to earn something that we cannot in order to be justified before God, but rather by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, we can be justified, not by what we've done, but by God's grace, because of what he has done. I think it's amazing how many people have religion as a badge. They wear it in some way, shape, or form. The question is, when people observe our lives, when they, when they watch us, are they saying about us that we persuade, man, we persuade people to revere, to respect, to honor God because we are sharing with them the grace of Christ. Well, in verse 14 Paul's about to open his mouth. I think that's one of the funniest statements that Luke has written in the entire book of Acts. When Paul was about to open his mouth. (laughs) Is there a time when Paul wasn't willing to open his mouth? I love it. You know, Paul's like, (laughs) 
all the air goes out of the room, you know? Paul's listening to what the Jews are saying. He's watching Galileo. He knows exactly the circumstance. He's been through this all before. Inside of him, I'm sure that there was something rising up. He's frustrated in one sense, religiously, in a godly way, because he wants them to understand the grace of Christ. He also knows that he has a whole audience that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, Galileo included. And I guarantee you the great apostle of grace wants to say something about God and who he is because he wants to continue to persuade them to respect God. And he wants to teach him about the grace of Christ. <laughs> but the Lord has a different, different plan here. Paul's about to open his mouth. He's got the breath going. And all of a sudden, what happens? Galileo says something. And I can only imagine, you know, in a football game, there's always that momentum shift, right? Right here, there's a massive momentum shift. Because the Jews come thinking they got something. We're going to get them. Galileo opens his mouth, and what does he say to the Jews? If it were a matter of wrong or a vicious crime, O Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. If Paul had broken the law, or, or if he was going around murdering people, doing vicious crimes, if he was doing something that was against the Roman law, I, I'd put up with you. I'd listen to you. But if there are questions about words and names and your own law, look after it yourselves. I am unwilling to be a judge of these matters. And he drove them away from the judgment seat. Wow. Case closed. God is sovereign over the affairs of men. Even those who are in positions of power, who look like they have the authority to do something contrary to God's will. You know, this is an interesting statement because basically what he's telling these Jews is this is a religious debate. It'd be kind of like the Methodists and the, and the Southern Baptists getting uh, angry at one another and saying, well, we're going to go to the federal court about this. at those Southern Baptists, they believe in immersion. Or, <laughs> flip side, those Methodists, for heaven's sakes, what is wrong with them? And we go to a federal court and we get in front of them and the federal judge looks at us and goes, what the world are you here for? I don't have any jurisdiction over your, your squabbles about religion and words and names and your own law. Deal with it yourselves. That's what he's saying. Do you realize the impact of this? What happens when a court makes a decision in our country? A precedent is set, right? And so all the other courts in the land start to watch that and they start to look for that we got enemies of the cross right now that are doing everything they can in order to establish precedents so that when they get before judges that seem to be contrary to Christianity, that they can then refer back to those precedences and say, oh, see that, well, <laughs> they've kind of set a precedent for the law of the land. Now we can be free to make the decisions about gay marriage and whatever else. Well, it's no different here. Do you realize the precedent that's set? Galileo has ties with Rome. 
And God uses Galileo because he's sovereign over the affairs of men. He uses Galileo to set a precedent that helps protect Christians and the expansion of the gospel throughout the entire empire of Rome. You don't think God knows what he's doing? You don't think that God's sovereign? You don't think that he's absolutely, intimately acquainted with the affairs of men? You don't think that he is actively engaged in making sure that the gospel is proclaimed? Absolutely. Sometimes we forget God's way ahead of us. He's asking us to join him. It's not the other way around. Well, I don't know what Paul's face was like, but Sosthenes has a problem. Verse 17, they all took hold of Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him in front of the judgment seat. And But Galileo was not concerned about any of these things. We're not saying Galileo here is a righteous guy. He's not. That's clear. Sosthenes is the leader of the synagogue, who used to be the leader of the synagogue. Crispus. Crispus got saved. Paul left, took a right-hand turn, went right next door. (laughs) It's so funny. Come on, y'all. Right next door. And Crispus gets saved, his whole household. They believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Sosthenes evidently had replaced him. Sosthenes is leading the charge against Paul. And all of a sudden, Sosthenes finds himself being driven from the judgment seat and being beaten. Now, I don't know all the circumstances here, and I don't know exactly what happened, but it's very interesting that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul says this, Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. Wow. We don't know for sure whether Sosthenes is the same guy. Maybe there's two different Sosthenes. I would think within the entire Greek empire, there was probably several people named Sosthenes. I hope none of you are, but in the Greek empire, there are. He says, Sosthenes, our brother. Now, isn't that a fascinating thing? What what would have happened? Sosthenes beaten up. He's leading the charge against Christianity. He gets taken back to his home. And maybe, maybe, speculation, I get it. But maybe some brothers in Christ went to him and said, our dear fellow Jew, we love you in the love of Christ. How can we serve you? How can we minister to you? You were against us, but we would have it that you would be as we are, justified before God by his grace. One day when we get to heaven, the stories are going to be amazing, aren't they? How God interrelated people And in the way that he alone is able to do it because he's sovereign over the affairs of men, how he is able to weave a tapestry that once in a while we get glimpses of. And when we do, we're reminded, oh, how great is our God. Well, there's a sovereign connection. Verse 18 Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren and put out to sea for Syria. He was trying to get back to Antioch, which is where he started this entire journey. And with him were Priscilla and Aquila. Remember them? They were in Corinth. Paul had met them. They were fellow tent makers. They served together. 
When Silas and Timothy came along, then Paul began to redouble his efforts in proclaiming the gospel. But Priscilla and Aquila had had an opportunity to be discipled by the great apostle, and they go with him. In Centria, he had his hair cut, for he was keeping a vow. Now that's unbelievable, isn't it? Here's the, the gospel being proclaimed through Paul, the apostle of grace. And yet we find that he took a vow. This was probably a Nazarite vow. It may have taken place while he was in Corinth because of all the different circumstances that were taking place. And he made a vow to God. We don't know what that vow is. We just know he got his hair cut, which probably all the believers and brothers and sisters in Christ said, Amen. Y'all need to wake up. <laughs> if you were in the South, you'd understand that even more because there's so many that believe in, you know, you ain't right with God if your hair grows longer in your ears, you know. <laughs> but why did he take the vow? Is the vow for the sake of salvation? Clearly not. It was a rather personal act of conviction and devotion to the Lord. It may have been done in gratitude or even as a request for protection in Corinth. We don't know. Either way, it was as unto the Lord. Verse 19, they came to Ephesus and he left them there. I want you to underline that, absolutely circle that. They came to Ephesus and he left them there. They came to Ephesus. Where's Ephesus? Do you realize it's in Asia? Now, wait a minute. At the beginning of this trip, what happened? He takes off from Antioch. He begins to go on his journey. He wants to get into Asia. And what did the Holy Spirit say? What did, what did the Spirit of Jesus himself say? No. What? I, I thought we just are free to do whatever we want, whenever we want, as long as we've got biblical mandates in order to establish it. <laughs> That's not grace. That's not being under grace. Being under grace means I'm free now because of what Christ has done for me in order to walk with God, to experience his power, his leadership, his direction, to understand that God is way ahead of me and he's got a plan that blows mine away. See, the timing of things is essential in ministry. The timing of things and when we do things is sometimes equally as important as why or how. We can have great goals in mind, but if we're not walking with Christ in the midst of it and we're not listening carefully to what he has to say and we're not step-by-step step following the Lord, our goals will become our gods. And we will pursue them passionately with everything within us and we will seek for affirmation that we are doing exactly what God wants us to do and how great we are. And we will take those goals and we will substantiate them in some way, shape, or form, usually using numbers, to say, look what we've done. And folks, I want you to catch something in this. God knew exactly when he wanted Paul to get to Ephesus. He knew exactly how he wanted him to get to Ephesus. He knew exactly who he wanted Paul to bring with him to Ephesus. Because God is sovereign over the affairs of every one of us. He's sovereign over the affairs of Hoffmantown Church, the body of Christ. He is sovereign over Albuquerque. He is sovereign over this country. He is sovereign over it all. The question is, 
Are we willing to trust him? Are we willing to walk with him? Are we willing to say yes to him? Lord, here we are. We're vessels. Pour your life into us and then through us so that you would be glorified. He gets to Ephesus. We find that he leaves Priscilla and Aquila there, and then we're given a parenthetical portion here. He himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. What has he done all along? It's exactly what he's done all along. There's a strong contingency of Jewish individuals here in Ephesus. They have a synagogue. He goes and he reasons with them. He dialogues with them. Again, he's explaining to them the Christ, the fulfillment of the Old Testament in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 20, when they asked him to stay for a, a longer time, he did not consent, but taking leave of them and saying, I will return to you again if God wills, he set sail from Ephesus. I would suggest to you that the apostle Paul understood absolutely and believed 100% fully in the sovereignty of God. If the Lord wills. He knew that God had prevented him from getting into Asia earlier. And all of a sudden he's there. And he knows if the Lord wants to bring him back, that God will bring him back. Now he's left Priscilla and Aquila who have been discipled, that understand grace and are able to continue the conversation. And we see later on in this chapter that Apollos is there. And Priscilla and Aquila actually teach Apollos, who is mighty in word. He's a tremendous orator, phenomenal speaker. But he needed to be deepened even further in the things of grace. I think it's interesting because the New King James Version or the King James adds this. And by the way, without getting into all the detail of it, uh, there are different Greek texts, okay? New American Standard uses Nestle Allen. Uh, King James uses the Textus Receptus. I mean, there's all kinds of textual stuff going on here. What's really interesting to me is that the majority text, which takes all of the different pieces of uh, papyri, the documenting of the New Testament, and looks at what is in the majority. If there's any type of conflict at all whatsoever, what's in the majority of the writings? And what I love is what you're holding in your hand is a phenomenal translation that has everything for us concerning walking with Christ and the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not missing out on anything. But in this one particular instance, it's a kind of an interesting thing to hear what the New King James or the King James has to say. When they asked him to stay a longer time with them, he did not consent but took leave of them saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem. But I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. Evidently, this piece of the the puzzle is important. Paul felt called. He felt led to be in Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And he felt like God wanted him to get there. And by all means, he was going to go. So just as a kind of an aside, I guess. Why did Paul leave Ephesus? Well, he trusted the Lord. He knew that Priscilla and Aquila were there. He trusted the Lord to bring them back because he believes in the sovereignty of God. But he also believed that God evidently was calling him to Jerusalem in order to celebrate the feast. I think it's important to understand that we are in a time where we have been told in so many different ways that it's up to us It's up to us. And you can fill in the blank. Folks, do we understand that God's got this? God's got this. Do we trust 
the Lord? Are we walking with him? Are we yielding to him? Are we surrendering to him? And do we trust him not only to give us the goals that are on his mind, to give us the plans in order to accomplish those goals, the strategies and all the rest, but in the midst of it, to trust God with the timing of it. You know, there's many times as elders, we sit around the table upstairs and we're in prayer, we're in discussion, we see issues, we see problems. I've had many sleepless nights because I go, Lord. And you know what God's reminded me over and over and over again? Eric, it's not dependent upon you. This is my church. I'll take care of it. Be patient. Wait on me. I'm at work. Even when you can't see me at work. Amen. Do you believe that in your own life? When things go wrong or they don't go the way you want them to go or problems or circumstances take place and you, you don't know what to do with it, do you immediately run to Christ and say, Lord, Lord, thank you. You're sovereign. You got this. Well, in verse 22, there's really kind of a great little wrap-up to this trip. And I don't want to miss out on it. He said, when he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. Going up, going down, that's all about Jerusalem being at a higher elevation. Don't get twisted up in that. Some of our dear liberal friends want to say that there's all kinds of problems in the word of God and this doesn't even make sense. And you go, well, no, they had to walk uphill, uphill. When they went to Antioch, they walked downhill. That's just the way they said it. Get a grip. When he had landed at Caesarea, he goes up, he greets the church. Don't miss that. The word greet here has the idea of embracing as well as paying one's respects. And he says to the church, because it's not just the leadership, it's the entire body of believers. Do you remember the first time that Paul came into Jerusalem? It was after the road to Damascus, and he comes in, and everybody, did everybody come up to him and say, Oh, Brother Paul, we're so glad to hear about your experience on the road to Damascus. What a blessing that you're here. Is that what they said? No, Barnabas had to go get him and take him before the apostles and say, hey, hey, he got saved for heaven's sakes. They didn't want anything to do with him. They were scared to death of him. That was his first experience. The second experience really comes right before at the beginning of this trip, which is he had to go from Antioch to Jerusalem because there were people saying that you had to be circumcised in order to get saved. And then there were people in Jerusalem, believers who were former Pharisees standing up and saying, well, okay, great. They believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. They got saved, but now they better keep the law. That's his second experience. I think the third one's really sweet. Because he's paying respect. Evidently, it's a Passover. Can you imagine the report that the great apostle to the Gentiles is giving to the believers in Jerusalem? Do you remember how we had that argument about the council and all the different things? And we landed on the fact that salvation is by grace through faith alone. Well, let me tell you a few stories about how God is sovereign over the affairs of men. (laughs) What a great reunion that must have been. What joy there must have been in learning about the spread of the gospel, in learning even of this recent decree that ultimately was used by the Lord over the next few years to protect Christianity and to help the spread of the gospel grow. I think that's a beautiful picture of brothers and sisters in Christ being reconciled 
to where they come together and Paul pays them respect and he embraces them. And the indicator is that they clearly did this back to Paul. Beautiful picture of God's love and his grace. Folks, I'd love to say that Paul got home. Wouldn't that be, Paul got home, left Antioch, took his journey, ended up in Jerusalem, went back to Antioch, and he arrived home. Don't get caught off guard by that. When I was 19, I was in Romania for three months. And uh, my return trip was a little bit different than the, the group I was with. We, uh, I wanted to visit family in Switzerland, so I took a train to Switzerland, caught my flight in Amsterdam, and came home by myself. And I landed in New York City. After three months, I was glad to be home. And I literally was walking through the airport in New York City, floating. I was saying hi to everybody. <laughs> I really did. I'm not joking, I'm serious. I mean, it's funny, but it's true. People walking past me, and, and if you've ever been to New York City, you know that um, Northeasterners are unique in their perspective of life. I grew up there, so I can say that. They were walking past me like, what? Seriously? I was going, hey, how you doing? <laughs> One thing led to another. My flight got canceled out of New York somewhere else, so I had to take a bus, so... I went to get on a, a transportation, you know, as a bus to get to where the, the trailways, I think I was going to take trailways home or whatever it was, Greyhound. And I saw this lady. She was about, oh, I don't know how old she was, maybe 30. And she had all kinds of boxes. I've, evidently, she had been shopping somewhere. And literally, she had about 20 boxes. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that the woman could not carry them all herself. It also doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that it would be pretty easy to come and swipe one of those boxes and take them and steal them. So I saw that and I thought, she needs help. And I was feeling good, feeling good. I'm at home. Serving the Lord's easy right now. Praise God. I'm back on American soil, right? So I, 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 I saw and watched the, the bus driver helped her get all the stuff onto the bus. She actually ended up sitting directly in front of me on the bus. And I took that as a sign from God. I thought, look. I'm supposed to help this lady, you know? So I leaned forward, and I just really, in a matter of fact, quiet tone, I didn't say it very loud. I said, ma'am, I, I, I saw that you got a lot of boxes. I know that we got to get off at the station here in just a minute. I'd be happy to help you if you need some help. That's all I said. Well, she turned to me. <laughs> and I want to tell you something. I've never forgotten the emotion that went through me at that moment. She yelled so the whole bus could hear. Stay away from me. I don't want anything to do with you. Oh, talk about putting the pin in the, you know. I kind of slumped back. I wanted to crawl under the floor. I thought, dear Lord, curse those boxes. <laughs> the heck with them. Who cares about this lady? Stupid lady, what the world, you know? I'm not supposed to say stupid, I'm sorry. I was angry. I was hurt. You know what the Lord reminded me right at that moment? Eric, 
you thought you were home. You're not home yet. You're not going to be home until you're with me. Oh, never forget it. Folks, God is sovereign over the affairs of men. And as believers, we have the opportunity, the privilege of watching him at work, walking with him in every area of our lives, in every circumstance. We have the opportunity of experiencing God. He's way ahead of us. He's got this. Whatever this is in your life, he's got it. Trust him. Get into the word of God. Let your mind be renewed, be transformed by Christ. And may it be said of us as it was said of the Apostle Paul, that we are constantly all the time persuading men to respect God. And it's not because of religion. It's because of the grace of Christ. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.